0: Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman, Jesse Cole, speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you.
1: Today's guest may be the greatest connector of our time. He hosts the most exclusive events for entrepreneurs and brings brilliant minds and thought leaders together all around the world. His Mastermind Talks Conference, or MMT, has a lower acceptance rate than Harvard. And this past year, I was honored to slip through the cracks and attend, and it was one of the most epic conferences I've ever attended in my life. He's the author of the best-selling book, Mastermind Dinners. He's been featured in Forbes, Business Insider. He's an inspiration, and I'm fired up. To welcome Jason Gaynor to the show today. Dude, I hope I live up to that introduction. Gosh. Yeah. Good <laughs> luck, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Should
2: have laced that in before. Now, now I'm anxious.
1: No, no, we'll have some fun. I'll tell you, like I said before, I just want to start with a thank you because it's really special what you brought together and you've learned. And from an experience standpoint, I always talk about it's you know the first impressions and going all the way through. And Jason, unbelievable. You know, most conferences you go to, you barely know the organizer, you connect with a few people. But I just remember like the first time we talked, we talked for 40 minutes, it was like you genuinely cared and you apply like you talk to everyone before they get into your conferences. And then you just kept going down. I get an iPad, which I might have been the only person ever who didn't even own an iPad. And I was like, look at this, I got an (laughs) iPad. And then you kept the conversations going into the conference. And before we get into your story, which is fascinating, just tell me a little bit about how you map the experience and how you really got into that because it's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I've been very experience driven so to speak, and I think it's easy to focus on experience in the position that I'm in because I genuinely care about the people I serve, and I think that's key. I had a business before in the e-commerce space where I didn't like the business and I didn't like the people we served, so I didn't care about experience. <laughs> With Mastermind Talks, we have 150 people, and for context, we've had 18,000 entrepreneurs apply for an event that's capped at 150 people annually. And these are some of my favorite people on the planet. And it's not lip service. I always say that we have 150 people at Mastermind Talks. I'd have 135 of them to my wedding. I spend 90% of my social time with folks in the community. I mean, we just wrapped up last weekend a couple's spa weekend. We were living the robe
1: life for two days. <laughs> I so, saw some pictures. Those are pretty interesting. Yeah, then next month we're going
2: on a Disney cruise. There's 26 families going on this Disney cruise. So it's one of those things that, yeah, I genuinely care about the people I serve. And I think that's foundational. It's hard to preach best practices on experience design and that kind of stuff if you actually don't care about the work you do or the people that you serve. So that's first and foremost. But for me, I don't know, like I had an idea to really kind of focus on customer experience in year one of our event because I didn't have a lot of capital. I've never been one to like, we've grown mastermind talks to this point without spending a penny on traditional advertising. And there's a saying that advertising is the tax you pay for being unremarkable. And we've grown organically over the years through word of mouth. So for me, with that first event, it was kind of sparked with that first event, where basically my goal was to offer the best experience possible and capture that on camera. Because I'm like, if I can capture that on camera, then I'll never have to sell the event ever again, because I'll have social proof. And I remember on the final night of that first event, and for context, I had no event experience. I mean, I always say ignorance, confidence, and hard work can go a long way when you're an (laughs) entrepreneur. I had no clue what I was doing. It was, you can probably attest to, MMT is probably closer to a wedding than it is a conference in the sense that <laughs> like, the curation and seating arrangements and that kind of stuff. But I remember at the end of our event, there was a lineup of people like lining up past the washroom. And I'm like, why is there such a big lineup? I'm like, maybe I'll tell them there's another washroom elsewhere. And this was going on during the final dinner. And I went to go see why. And it was actually a lineup of people trying to leave testimonials. And that event, without me soliciting, we got like six hours of testimonials. And again, we've never really had to like force that ever since. So it's been an area of focus, and there's a thousand things that have reinforced it. There's a great quote by Danny Meyer, that business like life is all about how you make people feel. It's that simple, and it's that hard. There's a great quote by a gentleman I actually just met over New Year's, John Paul DeJoria, who's the founder of Patron Tequila and Paul Mitchell Hair Salon Products. He has a saying that I don't want to be in the order business. I want to be in the reorder business. So all this stuff plays into the whole notion of just designing a beautiful customer experience. And the byproduct of that is obviously word of mouth and all that kind of stuff. And also, I've got to give a hack tip to uh, Joey Coleman. Joey just came out with a book, finally, on the topic of the first 100 days. And he delivered that talk, actually, at Mastermind Talks in 2013. And won the best talk as voted by the audience. And not only did he win the best talk beating out like big name speakers like Tim Ferriss and all these well-known Ted speakers. He actually had twice the amount of votes of the second place winner. So He <laughs> ran away with it. And his message basically is if you get the first hundred days of your customer's life cycle, right, you'll have a customer for life. And he does a really good job of talking about different ways to do that. All of that kind of stuff kind of culminated into me really being very conscious about the customer experience. And it's funny because it's a never ending thing. So even though I get a lot of praise from a customer experience perspective, I'm like, you don't even know the things that we could be doing <laughs> that we plan to
1: Im- implement in the future. So yeah. I appreciate- well, And Joey actually connected with the Mastermind Talk. So Joey was a guest on the podcast. We were speaking at an event in Phoenix. So we got to know each other. So he nice. connected me with it and never lose a customer again. He's amazing what he does. But that's something I noticed. And it's every touch point. You're constantly sharing videos. After we've already had the experience, you're continuing it going. And I think that's so important. And I think you said this before, uh, if you don't share your struggles, people won't buy your successes. So I think we need to set the context to understand, well, because you are very humble, Jason, and you'll get on stage and and unbelievably humble. But let's set the stage because I think both of us came from grounds. I mean, you went into huge debt. I took over a million dollars in debt, had to sell our house, was on an airbed with my wife. And it's okay to share that because it's okay that that's where it started. I'd love to hear... Your story, share it with the listeners, because it's really brought you to where you are now. I feel like a chump. I've worked <laughs> up with
2: a quarter million dollars in debt, and I had a mattress. So. <laughs> <laughs> you were living large, my friend. I, I know. I, yeah, it's all perspective. Yeah, I thought it was rock bottom, but I guess not. I dropped out of high school. I started a service-based business, which can be a little interesting to scale. So I pivoted into an online product business, which we grew to about $7 million a year, over four years with no outside investments and i was living my model of success i was traveling the world making a ton of money with all that money and all that free time i start to ask myself questions like why am i here will i be remembered how many people will show up to my funeral and i was not happy with the answers i was giving myself and i basically discovered that i was pursuing entrepreneurship for 7 years and i built a business i hated to enable me to buy things i didn't need to impress people i didn't like so i just realized i was not in alignment i was on the wrong path and i'm one of those people that even though i could have positioned the business for sale once I realized my heart wasn't in it, I couldn't. I had to get out like that day. So I've had a few moments in my life like that. And there's pros and cons uh, <laughs> to that. A lot of my friends were like, what are you doing? Like just coast it out for another year and, and get somebody to take it over, but I couldn't do it. So I became comfortable scaling the business down to zero. And unfortunately, I was never good at hiring an A-team, I guess you could say back then. Because of that, the business just cannibalized from the inside out. I kind of started to pull myself out right away, probably too quickly. And then two things that were beyond my control on the way down were really the nails in the coffin. And when the dust settled, I was a quarter million dollars in debt in August of 2012. So I had no business, no cash flow, didn't know what I was going to do next. Yeah, that was August, September 1st, my daughter turned six months old, and I was struggling with that on many levels. And September 1st, I got married to my wife. So there's a saying (laughs) that when one door closes, another one opens, but it sucks to be stuck in the hallway. That was a very dark hallway for me at the
1: time. Well, she married you during it. She did what? She had no choice.
2: (laughs) We were already in the Bahamas. We were getting married. We're we're pulling through. We'll make this happen. But yeah, I mean, there's actually, truth be told, there's a saying that a man's loyalty is tested when he has everything and a woman's loyalty is tested when her man has nothing. I never forget that. I jokingly say that she had no choice. She stuck around, but there's definitely times that she could have jumped ship and she didn't. So yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do next. All I knew is I didn't want to do the same thing as far as pursuing something for the sake of money. And somebody gave me a ticket. Somebody posted on Facebook about an opportunity to go see Seth Godin in New York and participate in one of his little workshops. And I've always been a big fan of Seth's work and philosophies, but, and had no other obligations at the time. So I said, I'll take the ticket and got there. And turns out the theme of it was a connection economy and how there's huge value connecting like-minded individuals. And at the time I felt very isolated, I guess you could say, as an entrepreneur. So I got back home, oddly enough, literally about 300 meters from here, I held my first dinner. And I was just planning to do one dinner. I just wanted to bring together a fascinating group of entrepreneurs and just be in their presence because I was kind of down and out, so to speak. And the common misconception about me is that like, because Forbes called me well, like one of the top networkers to watch. And I have all these praise and accolades when it comes to relationships. But the truth of the matter is, when I got married in 2012, I had two people show up to my bachelor party. I had my brother and my brother in law. I knew nobody. All the relationships that have fostered have been in the last five years or less. So, that dinner, initially, how I filled it was I, we have a magazine in Canada called Profit Magazine, which is very similar to like Inc., where they list out like the top businesses locally and that kind of stuff. So, they have this Profit 500 list. And I just reached out to a bunch of people cold and said, Hey, I'm doing a, a dinner for other Profit Magazine alumni. If you want to come out, here's the date. And I probably got a 5% response rate at best. And I almost canceled two hours prior because I'm like, nobody's gonna see value in this. They're gonna think I completely wasted their time. But thankfully, I didn't cancel because I felt like I couldn't because people were already on their way. So I went through with the dinner turned out to be a big success. And I just got clarity that connecting people and really just being in the proximity of people who are doing amazing things was something I wanted to do to some capacity for the rest of my life, and not necessarily as a business, because I wasn't monetizing these dinners. People thought, I was paying for them out of pocket and people thought it was crazy because I didn't know how I was going to make rent the following month. The way I rationalized it was that I was definitely considering bankruptcy. I mean, I was at the lowest I could go financially, so to speak. And to me, the bank could take my car. They could take whatever measly assets I have left, but they couldn't take my relationships. So investing my relationships to me were the safest investment I could make back then. And then I still think it's true to this day, which is why I still double down on relationships. So I had that dinner, turned out to be a success, did multiple dinners, had an opportunity to do an event with Tim Ferriss that kind of fell in my lap. And well, no, I,
1: let's, let's not – I mean you spent $84,000 of someone else's money that you made a deal to try to make – Dude,
2: cash. you're not supposed to tell anybody. It's
1: <laughs> <laughs> The story's I, I, fascinating, man.
2: Yeah, I, I can share that one real quickly. Yeah, so what happened was I was doing these dinners waiting for the, <laughs> the house of cards to fall. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Tim was coming out with a book. So Tim Ferriss had – For those who don't know, he had two books under his belt at that time, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek, which was a huge success. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for like five years, and The 4-Hour Body, which was also on the New York Times bestseller list. And he was coming out with a book called The 4-Hour Chef. And he realized or discovered about three weeks before the book launched that he was going to be banned from all retail distribution. So Barnes & Noble, Costco, Walmart, everybody. And the reason for that is he was the first big-name author to publish through Amazon and the traditional publishing world, I guess, on some level, wants to make an example out of him. So Tim is by far one of the best book marketers I know. So he scrambled and created these book bundles that if you bought five books, you'd get additional resources. If you bought 25 books, maybe he'd do a webinar with you or something. He had this Hail Mary package that if you bought 4,000 books, he'd do two speaking engagements. And at the time, I was one of the first people to see this package. He was only offering one. And I said to myself, well, I have a great friend of mine who does these big events in Canada. They have like two, 3,000 people to show up at, to their events. And I'm like, it's a great opportunity. So I sent him an email. The minute I click send, I say, you know, this is a great opportunity for anybody because Tim doesn't speak that often. And he's never spoken in Canada up until that point. So I ended up emailing him directly. And I said, you know what? I'll take the package. And he said, cool. I'll follow up later today with like details and all that kind of stuff. I guess the hairy part of the situation was that I had to come up with $84,000 within three days. I had 72 hours, basically, to send the wire, which I wasn't aware of initially before. And that was difficult on many fronts, not only because I just came off like a failed business and I was in survival mode, and this is an industry I have no context to, I have no experience in, in any way. But just add to that, I was raised in a family where you don't ask for anything from anybody. I just grew up around a very proud father, who did everything on his own and took a lot of pride doing everything on his own. And I've since learned that's not the way to go through life, but I still have my hangups as far as asking for help because all my past businesses were built on credit cards. I'd never raised money before. So that morning, I reached out to three friends. The first one said, sounds awesome. Come back to me with some numbers. And I'm like, sure. I mean, this is industry. I have no context as far as how it works. Uh, plus, I'm not a numbers thinker as an entrepreneur. Like, I have gut feeling around certain things and I kind of double down. So I'm like, let me loop back with you. The second person said, sounds awesome. Let's start a business together 50 50. And I'm like, that sounds great. I have one more person to call. Third person said, was probably halfway through the pitch and just said, come to my office tomorrow to pick up the check. I didn't talk any further. I hung up that phone the following morning. I think I was supposed to show up at like 8 a.m. I was probably there at like six because I was afraid that he'd like call me and be like, I have a change of heart or something. And I'm like, I'm already outside. <laughs> <laughs> you have to give me that money. Gave me the check. I deposited it. I sent the eighty four thousand dollars to Tim, and so I went two hundred fifty thousand in debt to three thirty four. I guess after I got that eighty four k, and that was the beginning of MMT. I didn't have money to pay speakers initially, so I took a page out of the X Prize model, which was I created a, a prize for the best talkers voted by the audience. So I brought in 15 speakers and did a $25,000 prize. And it worked out beautifully on many levels and wanted to, because I didn't want to fall in the same trap as the business prior, I wanted to handpick the people that I got to serve. So people had to apply. And I was very lucky that we had a lot of applications only because of the caliber of, of speakers, I guess, that we were able to attract. And as I may mention, ignorance, confidence, and hard work can go a long way. And I remember I posted about the event publicly. I think it was February 9th or something like that. The event took place in May. I tried to get event planners to plan the event for me, and they wouldn't take it on because they're like, it's not enough time. It's going to be a failure. And I was so scared to post this out to the Facebook and to my social network because I'm like, nobody, people are going to think it's going to flop or, or what have you. But it turned out to be a big success, and it's been an, quite an evolution over the last six years. What you joined us for was one of those iterations, and it's the key to happiness. Is too bad. Well, next time.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, going back to what you said, I've some stuff there because First, you talked about how you were all isolated. And I'll tell you, like the being alone, and I remember in one of your podcasts, Community Made, which, by the way, is my wife's like favorite podcast. She absolutely loves going through the story there. But it's that email that gets open, you're not alone. That gets open more than anyone else. And I think everyone feels that. And it's so interesting when you think about experience or marketing, how do you make people feel like they belong and they're together? And I think that's Mm -hmm. what you did so well. Because when I came there, I only knew like two or three people. And it is nerve wracking, and I be open with you. And I shared this after it was one of the first times I didn't wear the yellow tuxedo because I didn't. In I had fear because I was isolated. In which I now I got over. It. Now I wear it at airports. I wear it wherever I am. <laughs> but it was your event because I knew the people that I was around, and I was worried about being judged. And that's that isolated, be alone. What have you learned from that? Because I think it goes so much into the experience and what you're trying to provide for people is making them feel like they belong. Yeah.
2: I mean listen, belonging is when I think of recession proof businesses or industries, I think any industry that creates a sense of belonging and community, whatever the case may be, I mean that's that's not going out of style ever. Especially with the way we're leaning into stuff like social media and that kind of stuff, and how we're just getting more disconnected from that kind of that face to face. There's a ton of studies and a ton of research you made mention of that that one article. So Problogger teamed up with aweber and this is back in 2012, and they discovered that there was one email subject line that worked across industries. It worked for mail enhancement, it worked for personal development, potty training, selling cars, and that was "You are not alone." And oddly enough, there's an author named Keith Ferrazzi who wrote a book, "Never Eat Alone." He wrote another book called "Who's Got Your Back," and in that book, he interviewed a thousand people at random and asked one question and one question only: "Who has your back?" And surprisingly, 55% of people felt like nobody had their back even more surprisingly 60% of those people were married there's the writing's on the wall so to speak so if you can create some kind of brand experience where people can feel like sense of belonging feel seen feel heard feel appreciated it's so funny because when i look at like the foundation of experience design it just overlaps beautifully like with my relationship with my wife like when things are not going right it's always always because she doesn't feel seen or she doesn't feel heard and if you want to have a client base that is wrapped around your finger, make them feel seen, make them feel heard. And I'll give you case in point. This is, I've never shared this publicly because this is rather recent, but this is really interesting to me, is that we've had this success in the industry. Again, 18,000 applications, we get about three to 400 nominations a year, which aren't included in that. So that's alumni that say like, hey, I know somebody who'd be a great fit for one of your 75 spots and all that kind of stuff. Do you remember at Mastermind Talks? When we did those forms where it had a headshot of everybody and you circled like your yes. relationship, like, did you know this person? Do you not know this person? Yes. Like level of intensity. So the really interesting thing about that, the reason we did this is because the number one reason why people come to MMT is not the content, right? Content is abundant. And if you want to hear Tim Ferriss speak or Jim Collins speak, just watch their talks on YouTube. So content is abundant, but community is scarce. And The one thing about relationships, it's a hard thing to quantify. Like It's easy to say like, oh, this workshop did X, Y, Z for my business from an ROI perspective. It's harder to say this relationship. That relationship may pay dividends a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. You never know. And sometimes we don't connect the dots looking backwards either. So it's rather difficult. So we try to start capturing this and kind of get a good understanding of what your baseline relationships are and what are they a year later. So we can track not only how many people you met, how much deeper did those relationships get and all that kind of stuff. All this to say, they included my name in those forms. And surprisingly, 17% of people in that room, 185 people who, consider, who are clients of mine, considered me like their best friend. 30 some odd percent, the total for those two categories was over 50%, but the other 30 some odd percent was like a tier down, like one of their best friends. The whole notion of like experience design and all that kind of stuff, I just really think it's very much along the whole lines of that foundation of having people feel seen and heard, which is the foundation of relationships in general, whether that be intimate or business relationships.
1: It's amazing. And you must have a system this because I'm thinking about all these entrepreneurs. And, you know, I think of myself, it's like we have 100,000 plus fans come to our games and it's so tough to kind of keep that knowledge database of knowing them and being able to deliver that experience. But you have a philosophy that the biggest fan and cheerleader sure. philosophy, yeah, yeah. which I love because all we do is talk about fans. It's the name of our company, Fans First sure, Entertainment. Sure. But how do you do that? What's your system to the biggest fan being a cheerleader when your your database is growing every day?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, listen, dude, you're a rock star. So, like, we have 150 people. and We've had a couple hundred other people go through MMT. So, it's starting to get overwhelming, but it's not at the scale of, obviously, what you're dealing with so we're much more on the high touch side of things and we can be because we're smaller but i can give you a little bit of an idea of a couple things so two things may prove helpful right now one is the importance of relationship intelligence so you can reframe this as client intelligence we call it relationship intelligence because this is again for me the lines are blurred like friends and clients right they're the same in my world thankfully so what is some of the things that you can capture on a person so what they care about Who they care about is really, really important. Important dates and milestones are really, really important. Those are like the two key ones. Um, I teach a a super connector workshop, which is all about kind of relationship building. So the other one's just in case anybody cares to know what they care about, who they care about, important dates and milestones, goals. So instead of saying like, hey, what's your goal over the next year? We'll we'll ask the Clay bear question. If we were to meet a year from today with a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating? So get a good understanding of where they are, where they want to go. And if we can help them move the needle in that regards, that's a way of investing in that relationship. Then we also try to find out obstacles. So if I ask one of my clients, if we were to meet a year from today, what are we celebrating? And they say hitting New York Times for my book. I'm launching a book and I want to hit New York Times. So the follow-up question to that is, if in order for you to hit New York Times, what is something that you need to solve or overcome? So I get a clear understanding of their goal, a clear understanding of their pain point. And then obviously, I'm trying to solve that or remove or eliminate that pain point so that they can achieve that goal. And then the final thing is their unique ability, because for me, I'm always trying to solve people's problems through other people. So connecting people. So those are like the super connector ones. But fundamentally, what every business can benefit from is connecting, basically capturing what they care about, who they care about, important dates and milestones. Lots of different ways you can do that. It could be through intake forms. We're blessed to be in a position where we can make people jump through hoops as far as how many questions they have to answer. The surveys, be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be a client. But you can just pepper small things in there. A great example I'll give you from a, that some people could actually, there's takeaway value in this is that we have these intake forms, which again, can be some like the basic stuff like name, email address, best mailing address, and those, those kind of things. We would ask a question like, what's a $20 indulgence that you can't live without? And they would say what it is. And when we did our event in year two, when everybody went for break and they came back to their seat, that indulgence was waiting for them. Whether it was Häagen-Dazs ice cream, whether it was McDonald's fries, whether it was Krispy Kreme donut, and that just took going the extra mile. There's a saying that go the extra mile, it's never crowded, and that's kind of our philosophy. And the thing is, if you capture important dates and milestones, and you capture what they care about, who they care about, the ways you can invest in those relationships are abundant. And the beautiful thing is, is that like. Sure, you can get it from them directly. You can also get it through their social media. Mm-hmm. And you know, this can be done by you. But I also, uh, there's a friend of ours, John Goodman, who actually does, he has somebody on his team. They have 1,300 clients. And somebody on his team has a specific Facebook profile where it says like Jen, whatever her last name, at their company name, or dash their company name. And she's friends with all their clients. Relationship intelligence gives, updates the CRM. <laughs> Sends an update to John all the time. So there's ways to build systems and processes around it. Those are key. And then the whole biggest fan philosophy that's one of the six ways that I've kind of discovered you can invest in relationships. So let me see if I can remember them all. So, um, common way to invest in relationships is resources. So again, understanding somebody is here, they want to go there, and providing them with resources or connections. That's like the basic way that most people do it. Another way is gifting. Uh, gifting is a, a great way to invest in relationships and really when you look at gifting at its core i'll give you an example the whole notion of you know you ever get a bad christmas gift and somebody says oh it's the, the thought that counts if they put thought into it it wouldn't have been a crappy gift right <laughs> a bad gift ultimately makes you feel unseen right and a good gift makes you feel seen and heard so that's really the core fundamentals of gifting that's another vehicle to invest into relationships your best clients that kind of stuff the biggest fan philosophy that you kind of touched on is basically, I got the idea from the whole notion, like marketers, good marketers, whether you like them or not, generally are great at putting themselves in the shoes of their prospects. And I kind of take that same approach to business, so to speak. So if I put myself in the shoes of one of my people in my client base, and they have an important data milestone coming up. So let's say it's, for example, let's use the whole idea of like they're coming out with a book. So if you put yourself in their shoes, what are some of their fears, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not going to sell any books. I'm not going to get any reviews. I'm going to get reviews and they're negative reviews. So what are some things you can do in that situation? Well, you can promote it for them. You can promote the book for them. You can buy maybe a bundle of books or something like that to support them. You can be the first to leave a positive review on Amazon. I don't care what author you are. If it's your ninth book, you always look at those reviews for the first couple days at least. So those are just other ways. So really, you're trying to find somebody's most vulnerable moment and be their biggest fan to kind of offset that. And that is by far one of the best ways to invest in relationships. And again, this all transcends into like investing in your client base as well. Another one is good old-fashioned gratitude. Notes of gratitude go a long, long way. There's a book called The Five Love Languages. Yeah. And I know gifting is one of them. So when, for example, when I get gifts, I'm not a huge... I love gifts, (laughs) but I don't keep them all. One thing I always keep is the notes. I always keep notes of gratitude. And those just go a really, really long way and they cost nothing. Like I think Coco Chanel said the best things in life, the next best things are very, very expensive. Yes, Gratitude goes a long way. And then the last thing is taking all of these things. So gifting, gratitude, resources, biggest fan, and applying it to their inner circle. Because again, if you want to care about somebody, care about who they care about. I'll give you a great example. If there's a business tape in this. I recorded a video with her probably about a year and a half ago because we've been all over the world. Some of the nicest Four Seasons properties you can imagine. My daughter's favorite hotel by far, and I know you get this. Like this is your wheelhouse. But her favorite hotel by far is this hotel called Chelsea Hotel in Toronto. It is a two-star hotel at best. It sucks. But why do we go there every time we come to the city? Because when we go to check-in, they have a little check-in area for kids where they walk up these steps. And there's a little chest where these little, like, plush toys that cost probably 20 cents. And she gets a plush toy, and then she gets to ring this big, like, gong. That's her favorite hotel. Her favorite restaurant is a restaurant called Swiss Alley. Again, we've eaten beautiful, beautiful, like, five-star meals. She loves this place, which would be, I don't know, the, probably the equivalent of like Denny's in the United States. The reason she loves it, again, the way they make her feel during that experience. There's, again, another chest where she can pick a toy, whatever the case may be. Her favorite grocery store is a grocery store I'm not a fan of, and it costs too much money, even though I'm not cheap. It's just, you know, if you can get it at half price somewhere else, why would you go there? The reason she loves it, they have little carts for kids that says customer and training, and it's just a little cart, and she started pushing those carts when she was three. So, again, if you want to care about somebody, care about who they care about. And I know you get this. You apply it in your business. You're well-known and widely respected for the stuff that you do. It's amazing how many people I know know you and know what you do. So I know you subscribe to all this
1: stuff. Well, thank you. We're just trying things out. But I think the great thing from there, which was you went through it, but what are some of the fears? Because when you talk about, I mean, I was going back to when I released my book a year ago. And, man, that was one of the most lonely times ever. You're putting out a book. You're throwing yourself out of the world, man. It's scary. And the people reaching out and sending the notes just made such an impact on me. But I also think from a business standpoint, I always talk about the friction points in an experience. You know, what are the challenges for a baseball game? You get nickel and dimes. That's why we made all of our tickets all you can eat. All that type of stuff. But Mm -hmm. what are your biggest fears? Like I think about that, whether you have a restaurant, whether you have anything, what are just minor fears? So coming to a ball parking, that's a little fear. Are we going to find spots? What time are we going to get there? Are we going to find a seat? For us, we have the challenges every night because people can't find seats. So it's like, how do you overcome those fears and think about the experience? For you, Jason, the videos leading up until the event were outstanding. Here's one thing that I would suggest. Now, looking back at it, I would have loved to get a call maybe from another member and say, hey, this is what's coming up. Because, you know, thinking about that, luckily, I did know Joey. I called Joey Coleman, talked to Tucker Max. But hey, here's what to expect. Hey, let's meet up that first night. You came up and I'll tell you the experience. You came up and give me a big hug. First time we saw, it, that's unbelievable, but it's also helping on that process moving in. And that was my fear. I went to your thing alone. I didn't have anyone that first I was sitting at the bar, didn't know anyone. And so if every company looks back, what are the fears people have in experiencing your product, whether it's small or big? Try to, how do you eliminate those?
2: 100%. Yeah. I mean, mapping that stuff out is crucial and even. Just from a vocabulary perspective, like instead of using the word fear, just anxiety. Like when do people's anxiety rise and how can you address that? And those are just great opportunities to make micro investments into that relationship with your customer, or your client base.
1: Yeah. And we like as members, like, I would love to call someone, hey, a first year person. Here's what I experienced because they're your biggest fans now. And it's vice versa. I'm thinking about that for people that come to our games that have never been to a Savannah Bananas game what to expect. Hey, get there early so you can get a seat. Go to this, go to this. How helpful that would be and how many people. So you got me thinking, but don't think you're getting away from games, Jason, because we're going to our first game, all right? (laughs) Get Mentally prepared. Truth and dare. Which one would you like first? Oh, I see how you did it there. Let's do truth first. We'll do a truth first. All right. So we were talking about fears. This is the real truth. What are some of your biggest fears?
2: Definitely in the context of business, This really drives me kind of unconsciously is I'm always terrified that somebody says like the good old days of like mastermind talks because I hear it a lot about other events and that kind of stuff. And we've done a ton of things, even the whole notion of scale. We've stayed the same size and increased the quality of people and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just, yeah. That always scares me is that there's ever rumblings that like, all oh, the good old days of MMT, when it first started, it was better. So you hear about other events and other companies and that kind of stuff. And that, yeah, terrifies me because <laughs> it's easy because when you get most successful is when you're most vulnerable, right? It's easy to become very complacent
1: and that kind of stuff. That notion always kind of keeps me on my toes. That's good, you know, because I think about its expectations now, too. First started, no one knew what to expect. We have our core group, our whole staff. Well, most of them were there that first season, and we never knew what to expect. And all the games were selling out, and there was a story every night. And everyone talks, man, that first year was so magical. How do you recreate the magic of all those things that happened, the unexpected?
2: Well, I did a behind the scenes tour of Apple and their Apple University years ago, and basically they shared this philosophy of like surprise and delight. That every time you delight somebody, it becomes just expected the following time. So this this never ending kind of hamster wheel. That you always need to be running on and for us there's an expectation like last year's format it's going to be the same this year so we changed the venue the reason why we change venue every year which is a lot of work some would argue like unnecessary like why not just do it at the same venue because for us you know we did that event in park city at the end of september we could have done that exact same event the following week because we had all the systems in place we had all the meals lined up all that kind of stuff but the reason we changed venue because we redesigned the event from scratch And it creates a whole new experience. We hope that you can't compare kind of one year to the next, coming with these expectations every time. So,
1: Mm, Yeah. Don't think you're getting away from the dare, by the way. We're not just skipping the dare, all right? (laughs) But no, I'm with you. So are you ready for the dare? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're doing – it is a game that we do at our ballpark called Sing in the Blank. And normally what we do is we'll have two people with a mic, and we'll play a song as soon as it stops you have to finish those song lyrics, okay? And so you're going to be singing in a second if you're ready for this. Are you ready? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love watching okay. your reaction.
1: Here we go. I'll play a vlog.
2: You just call on brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to... Lean on. Something. Yeah, I don't remember the rest of the part. Lean but I, on I me! All right, it's yes. A weather song or something like that. Yes. I listened to that song with my daughter in the car. There was a specific kind of curated, so many songs now. If you look at the Spotify, like top 50, it's all like disgusting rap songs. Yes. Like I'm a fan of rap, but some of it's real harsh when you have a six-year-old daughter. So I picked like all these oldies that have like great messages like Lean on
1: Me and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so we sing that song all the time. Just I'm not as good on the spot. but You you got it pretty well. And I was going from your quote here. You never know the value of relationships until you really need them. When you hit rock bottom, which we all do, you'll be left with two things, the integrity of your word and the strength of your relationships. Never tarnish your word and always invest in your relationship. I just saw
2: what you did right there. I just
1: saw what you did. Oh,
2: I'm going to incorporate that into my talks when I go get off the stage and to have Lean on me playing.
1: Yes, because in the end, that's all we really have. Oh, when I pick songs, they're strategic. They're strategic. Dude, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> no, I appreciate you. All right, we're going to finish a little bit. I want to go a little bit to the starting point, Jason, because yeah. if someone right now is trying to get connected with more people, as I shared with you, my word for the year is connection. And mm-hmm. what can they do to have more deeper connection with people? And I'm going to segue into this a little bit because what I felt at your event You talk about, you had a pyramid. We cut through all the surface questions and get right to the root. And I remember Philip McKernan talking about your greatest pain lies next to your greatest gift and bringing out your wounds and childhood. I'm sitting in a group and grown men are crying next to me. And then I'm on a bus going to skeet shoot, which as me in a yellow tux, I just, no, I cannot do skeet shooting. I didn't hit anything. But you're connecting with these people in a real way. And you brought on that deep connection. If you're not hosting... A conference, if you're starting out right now, someone, how can you get closer and connected? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of
2: things. One question I get a lot is how do you connect with big name people? That is a very kind of common question that I get. And the one thing I always say is that throw a name out there Richard Branson, Bill Gates, anyways, they're not looking for any more friends at this point in time, right? The best time to become friends with Tim Ferriss was back in 1997 before he wrote the four hour work week, right? So I'm a firm believer in investing in people like you would a business because amazing people become increasingly amazing over time and having done this heavily for the last six years, I can probably share twenty case studies minimum hundreds of case studies actually of people that have just grown exponentially over the years getting back to like investing in people like I think we can all remember a time when somebody believed in us when we didn't necessarily believe in ourselves so to find those rising stars and investing in those relationships and watching them grow to me is is everything that's the one thing is that like i think removing the allure of like connecting with all these big names and who are some great people already in front of you that you can support and just find those rising stars to me is one of the it's still a foundational principle that i apply all the time and then i think the other thing i'd add to that is again when people have this whole notion of connecting with big names i always point back to like the whole dating world, which has been a long time since I've been (laughs) probably 12 years. But there's this thing from the dating world that like, would you date you? You know what I mean? And it's the whole concept of like mate value. We want to surround ourselves with people who are in social exchange theory, where we want to surround ourselves with people who are assets and not liabilities, right? People who are batteries and not black holes. So people who can on some level unconsciously help us, whether it be personally, professionally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever the case may be. So The one thing I always like to point to before you start trying to reach out and be friends with everybody is investing in yourself. And there's a great quote from, I think it's Cal Newport, or at least the name of his book was like, be so good they can't ignore you. And that's kind of my philosophy. I have very much a long-term view when it comes to relationships. And there's lots of big names that I can connect with all the time, but I play the long game. And to me, I just work on my own kind of platform and write my own books and just get better in every single way that I can be. So that when there is an opportunity to to meet somebody, it feels like, again, I'm a peer and I'm an asset. And I'll give you a great example of this. I was at an event. I was speaking with Gary Vaynerchuk, this event. I never met him before up until that point. And while he was on stage, literally during his talk, two people ran on stage to take a selfie with him. And Gary, like, loves this kind of stuff. And, like, he wasn't angry or anything. After he got off stage, it was his VIP evening. And I was having dinner at the back of the room. And I didn't know Gary. But he was walking around nearby, and there's two speakers sitting next to me. And one of them's like, I really want to go take a picture with Gary. And I'm like, you go do that. Part of me wanted to do the same, if I'm being 100% honest. But I'm like, that's not how you build a relationship. You don't build a relationship by going up to somebody really, hey, can I take a selfie, right? Because on some level, unconsciously, you're saying you're not on their level. My friend went to go take a selfie and all that kind of stuff. And I was sitting there, and then Gary was just kind of moseying by and turned to me. And he extended his hand to me, and he's like, hi, I'm Gary. And I'm like, I know exactly who you are. But it just goes to show the importance. Like those two people that ran on the stage, he's never going to see them as a peer. Play that long game. Amazing people become increasingly amazing over time. And ultimately be so good they can't ignore you.
1: I love that. And I think the quote you mentioned before, it's be a battery, don't be a black hole. And I think you said that as well. Abundance creates energy, envy, and scarcity, you know, drains it. And, you know, you think about it, if you bring energy, if you lift people up, and you mentioned before the gratitude, Jason, I mean, I don't know if I'd share with you, but In 2016, my word for the year was care, and I had to hold myself accountable to that. So I said, I'm going to write a thank you letter every single day. So I started doing that, and it hasn't stopped. It's how I start every morning, and it's over a 1,000. And I'll tell you, it's made a bigger impact on my life because, again, just like you, you give to someone else without wanting anything in return. And what's happened from that is these connections because I'm not just saying, hey, thank you for something. It's like a real, like you have to make an impact on my life to do that. And I'll tell you, gratitude and energy, I think those are starting points for me. And it sounds like for you too, it's like, you got to make sure that you understand you're not trying to get value from someone right away. You are playing the long game. And the talent scout part, I love too, because it's like, find people that you don't go to the top. You start, you say, hey, reach out then. And I'll tell you, anybody that reaches out to me now, whether they're in school and they want to talk, I talk to them because I'm just like, I want to be there. And Mark Cuban did the same thing. I'll never forget. I sent an email to him. And he wrote back within an hour. I was 25 years old. And I was mm-hmm. like blown away. It's just those little things that uh, make an impact. So, My wife's biggest
2: criticism with me is that I will almost take a call with anybody. Yeah. Like I try to make sure it's on like during dead time. In, like I'm driving. Yeah. I have an hour and a half long drive to Toronto when I want to come to the city. So I'll bank all those calls within that short period of time. You never know the impact you can make on somebody. Just even just, again, having a conversation. Not necessarily giving them any kind of light bulbs. It can go a long way. And that's a way of like investing in somebody when they're most kind of vulnerable and like early
1: stage. And again, amazing people become increasingly amazing over time. That's amazing. Invest in yourself. Invest in others. All right. We're in the ninth inning here. We're in the ninth inning. Another quick game. Flip the script. Jason, you are now the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question.
2: Oh, uh, this is so funny because I'm mean, usually pretty good on the spot. I actually have question cards. <laughs> I, I, I don't, it's so funny because I'm so bullish on like good quality questions saying that the quality of questions will determine the quality of your conversations and I'm usually so good with questions and now I'm on the spot but let me see what is one thing you've done in the last
1: three months that makes you feel proud? That's see good that's you are good on the spot because I haven't been asked that question actually ever I never had asked a question what is something I've done that makes me proud. That's really, really interesting. My first thought always goes to family and then it goes to our team. This is a business podcast, but I'm going to go family here because here's something that I've really changed. I'm obsessed with our business. I'm obsessed with our people. I care about them more than anything. And what I've realized, my word this year is connection. And the person I should be the most connected with is my wife and my new son, Maverick. So I changed my schedule. And now I go in early and I leave the office. Other than today, because this was an adjustment on the schedule, I leave the office at 3 o'clock and I spend the whole afternoon with Emily and Maverick. And that's it. I don't have email on my phone. I don't have social media on my phone. I took it all off and I spend time with them. And to be honest with you, I'm proud of that because as someone who loves what we do so much, that's something that I'm proud that I'm getting better at. So that was a good question. And I went a whole other route. I've never gone. So thank you for that, man. I got another one. Oh, jeez. I'm
2: taking the reins now. <laughs> You're breaking the uh, rules, my friend. Okay, this is the last question I have for you, but I'm really curious because I think it's going to be telling. What is
1: one of the hardest things you've had to say no to? A lot's happened in the last three weeks, and it wouldn't be the hardest, but the first thing that comes to mind, I've turned down three very well, solid speaking appearances at really good opportunities because of family, what we had for family commitments. That's what most recent, I've said no to... A lot of things, we've recently said no to LA producers that want to do a show on us because I don't think our time is ready. I said no to a lot of things from a business, but that's a good question. I'm going to throw it back on you. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) See, you throw me that hard question. And this show is supposed to end, but you're going to get thrown out of that office. All right. Oh, don't worry about that.
2: Hardest thing i ever had to say no to, one of the bigger ones is like investment in the business. It's very common in the business world to like take on investment and that kind of stuff in scale. But similar to you, I have very similar values in the sense of the importance of family and time. And I know what is needed, what needs to be sacrificed in order to grow a business, achieve hyper growth and have an ROI for investors and all that kind of stuff. Something I've turned down in the past and it was difficult and it wasn't difficult because I'm pretty clear on my priorities. Again, similar to you. So
1: that's awesome because I think a lot of people, they see all these flashy things, whether it's money, whether it's investment, same thing. We want to be able to own what we're doing and be able to like control and be able to take care of people and have our own pride and not change the purpose of our company and what we're doing and make sure that our people come first. And yeah, we have to say no to those things. We're on the same page. I love it. All right. We're going to finish up. Question time. I'm with you, Jason. You said if you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. Sure. I'm fascinated. You just gave two wild questions. I'm usually ready to rock and roll. It's usually similar questions (laughs) about, hey, the show, the experience, whatever, but are there some other great questions that you're asking? Because I think one, we agree so much on this. One of the worst questions you can ask is, how can I help? Sure. Because they don't know you enough. They should know you to be able to offer that, which you do. What are some of the other great questions that you've been hearing recently or that you ask?
2: To get to the same, you hit the nail on the head because this is very common. Even like friends of mine who are great at relationships, again, their operating system, just autopilot is, how can I help you? And getting back to what we said at the beginning of this interview, if I reach out to you specifically and said, like, how can I help you? That doesn't make you feel heard or seen. It does the opposite, right? So, like, it should be my role in this relationship to pull out of you how I can help you. And I can say, hey, by the way, I can help you with this, something you're struggling with, and that kind of stuff. So, again, the champagne moment question is an amazing one, which is if we were to meet a year from today with a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating? And you can contextualize that. You could say six months. You could say a bottle of cognac. I don't know. Like, there's different ways, but it's a great way. I, every time I ask that question, it makes people smile and it makes it gives a way better
1: answer than just, hey, what's your goals? How often sh- do you ask that question of yourself? For me? How often do you ask, hey, what's my champagne moment in six months, in nine months, in a year? Yeah, I'm pretty clear on oh, what those thanks. things are. Yeah,
2: I'm very clear on what those things are. I have my year pretty booked out. And the one thing is, is that, I don't know if I'm cheating myself, but like every time it's like mastermind talks, <laughs> you know what I mean, like... I hope MMT is another success, and we have one of those a year. I mean, that's a great question. Your listeners go to masterminddinners.com. We actually have a question list there that they can download. So it's, I don't think it's an email often thing, right? or anything. just go to – Mastermind Dinners is the book I wrote, and one of the things I talk about in the book is the importance of great questions, and we've been cultivating questions a lot over the last few years. If you go to masterminddinners.com, you'll get access to a, a list
1: of them. Love it. That's so important. And again, that's everything. You're trying to build experiences, how people feel. you got to ask the right questions. You can't just ask, you know, what do you do? That's the oh, that question so brutal. But some favorites quickly here. Favorite book that you keep coming back to? Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a uh, tough question for me too. Seeking
2: Wisdom by Charlie Munger.
1: Okay, beautiful.
2: Uh, it's actually, it's on Charlie Munger. It's called, from, yeah, uh, Seeking Wisdom from Darwin to Munger. Basically, it's a book written by a guy named Peter Devlin. It used to be a harder book to get a hold of. You couldn't get it on Amazon. It is amazing. Charlie Munger is the right hand guy to Warren Buffett. And just a beautiful way of thinking. It talks about like you know cognitive biases and that kind of stuff. It's one of those evergreen books that you, you know, can reread every year
1: and see it from a different perspective, and there's there's so much wisdom in it. Love it. Favorite part of your morning routine? Join my daughter to school. Oh awesome. Simple. Favorite way to unwind at the end of the day. <laughs> Laying down with
2: my daughter in her bed and put her to sleep
1: every night. Oh, awesome! All right, what about a magic moment? I love this. What's one moment you'll never forget? One that really stands out when you think of something that made you really happy?
2: I got my a standing ovation at MMT, our first Mastermind Talks event, and that was that was a terrifying event. Like, yeah, it was a really terrifying event for me. And that was actually oddly enough when I went to go speak on the stage to do like the morning address. I had like Tim Ferriss there, Mark Echo, like all these people I consider like superstars and mentors. And that was the largest audience I had spoken in front of by far. And I was terrified to go on stage. Terrified. We actually started like 20 minutes late because I was so scared at the back of the room. But I think there's a saying that seven seconds of courage can change your life. And to me, it's almost like when I went skydiving. I'm terrified of heights. We only need seven seconds of courage for that door to open. You jump out. Once you're out, you will you have no choice but to make it work. And the same thing happened when I had to go on stage. I walked on the stage and I'm like, well, now I'm here. I got to talk. And it worked out. And I just remember... Yeah, at the end of the event, we had a couple of standing ovations and that
1: was memorable. Mm, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a question I ask almost everyone and it's amazing where they go because it's always an emotional thing. It's getting over yeah. a challenge. It's these special moments and it mm-hmm. brings them there. You know, I think about, you know, obviously when my son was born and the scares we had with that. I remember all these special moments and it's amazing. So thanks for sharing. All right. Final here. Rock and roll. Well, actually, I love this quote too. You said this. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people you're around. Sure. It's just really well said. And there's nothing other than I'm just putting that in there because I want this in the show. Notes, it's just a great, great quote. Love it. Your final inning. What's one thing you've done to stand out in business and in life? Follow my truth. I'm not trying to make that like
2: as, as a like hunky dory type thing. But like, again, there's I have some unconventional views on business and scale and all that kind of stuff. And again, the common philosophy in business is grow as fast as you can, make as much money as possible. And I realized that didn't make me happy, and just staying true to kind of who I am, and having no desire to scale in size. I want to scale in, in impact and scale trust ultimately with my community. And those are barrier areas of focus for me. And again, that's not something that everybody agrees to, and not everybody is going to yeah subscribe to. But that's my truth, and, and sticking to that to me is is a great way to stand out. Yeah, it's great to be yourself.
1: Uh, that's amazing. I, you know, I wrote a piece d- have deeper impact for fewer people, and people are like upset. No, you need to have so many people. I'm like. Again, it's that deep impact that really makes a difference, so I'm with you 100%. All right, this is an obvious question, but I'm intrigued. You've got a lot of advice in your days from a lot of good people. What's some that stands out?
2: The two mantras for my business-like life is all about how you make people feel. It's that simple. It's that hard. I don't want to be in the order business. I want to be in the reorder business. I think on the personal side of things, Jim Rohn's philosophy of you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And there's another one, which is some people are in your life for a reason and some for a season. So understanding that you, know, you can keep people in your heart, but you don't have to keep them in your life. And I've had to make some really difficult decisions when it comes to relationships uh, in the past, even just with family. That's an important thing for me to kind of remember and you know where I got those things from. But it's funny, I have Evernote with like probably 800 quotes. People like when you speak,
1: you speak in quotes, and they're just so powerful, like a little snippet of text you're a quote machine today, man. I'm loving it. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's impressive. I'll tell you. But that's how people. Yeah, that's how people remember. They remember the quotes. And but I want to go for your final question here. How do you want to be remembered?
2: <laughs> oh God, it's so funny you ask because again, I was so anal about this years ago. I was like, all that uh, to me, like my philosophy was like, all that matters in life is how many people show up to your funeral. Honestly, I have like a love hate relationship with that notion now. But like. I remember I went for surgery two years ago to get my nose fixed because of a a boxing incident. And basically I remember I was talking to the nurse and then I was mid-word and then I went out. And then I woke up like eight hours later. And I'm like, that's probably how debt is. Like you're just – you go out at any time. Like you don't really know. There's no countdown. So I'm like – obviously I want people to show up at my funeral and all that kind of stuff and I want to be remembered. But it's released that hold a little bit. Like, part of me doesn't care anymore. I just want to, like, focus on the relationships I have and make as much impact while I'm here. I mean, I hope I'm remembered as, like, somebody who obviously cared immensely about people, didn't see people from a transactional perspective and supported a lot of people and helped them achieve their goals and helped them get clarity, just clarity in general. So many people I know are, are just confused and and stuck into like biases and other people's opinions and all that kind of stuff. And one of the most beautiful things creating the community of of MMT that I've seen is a handful of people go through it and get in alignment with the work that they do, the relationships that they have, the life they want to live. And to me, that's beautiful. So a mixture of that kind of stuff, but when I'm dead, I won't know it
1: anyways. Well, I like what you said, because I David Burkus, who's part of the group, and got to know yeah. a little bit, you know, he wrote a piece that goes, when all you know my goals are for next year, just show up. Like, I'm just going to show up. And I was like, that, that's brilliant. Just be there and be present and show up and do the right thing and you'll be remembered. And I think a lot of people try to have this. I did it in my book. I started my book, my eulogy. At 33 years old, I wrote my eulogy, which was tough. But the scene of things, just be there and things will take care of themselves. So I think that's a uh, brilliant. And Jason, I tell you, I can't thank you enough for showing up today. I mean, seriously, we went down... Some crazy stories. You tried to sing a little bit, which was a disaster, <laughs> but we had fun. And I think I know this is going to offer so much to listeners. It offered a lot to me. So thank you. You know, obviously we, we have masterminddinners.com. They have some resources. You know, where can anyone else learn more about this and this amazing thing you're doing?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, mmt.community is Mastermind Talks. Community Made is a podcast I have where I do seasons on different topics. So season one was actually oddly enough about scale where I share my viewpoints, but also bring other people who have different viewpoints. You can kind of present them both and you make a decision off that. Season two is all about relationships. So if you want to learn about like six ways to invest in relationships, all that kind of stuff, which again can be seen as stuff when it comes to relationship building, but also building strong relationships with your client base, customer experience. There's a lot of overlap there. Uh, And that's communitymade.com. And then on all the traditional social media
1: channels, you can, I can be found. So
2: there's (laughs) all of them.
1: Uh, Outstanding. Jason, appreciate you, and Thanks, man. No, I appreciate you, dude. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time... Stop standing still, start standing out.